Hey, this is Steve Balton, and welcome to People Have the Power, where this week I'm joined by British singer-songwriter Michael Kiwanaka to talk about what he sees as a modern-day heyday of music that reminds him of the 70s. He talks about artists like Solange, Childish Gambino, Kendrick Lamar, and more, as well as picking some of his favorite classic protest songs from the likes of Marvin Gaye and CSNNY. Hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did, because it was a blast. It's a little Ooh. early here, but but you know, excited to talk to you. It's uh, yeah, probably not so early where you are. Are you in the UK? Yeah, yeah. So it's like half four. Okay, it's half yeah. eight here. So, um, sorry, dude. <laughs> it's not <laughs> good. You know what's funny is then tomorrow morning I have David Guetta at half seven. You know, okay. so I, I actually am a morning person anyway. So it, it's all good. <laughs> and I'm excited to talk to you. It's funny. You were one of the last shows I got to see before the world shut down. I saw you at that phenomenal show at Disney Hall in January. Oh, man. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. It, was, it was a wonderful show. You know, it's funny how I, and it's so interesting to think about because then, you know, I said I saw you in January and it's like, yeah. wow, it's, it's weird to think that that was actually the same year. Yeah, I know. I was thinking that the other day. It's like, that feels like three years ago with all that's happened. Yeah, <laughs> three years ago. Yeah, it's funny because I was just looking at your Twitter, and I know that you know you also are are you know announcing rescheduled dates for next year, and you know, fingers yeah. crossed. Of course, we're able to make those happen. And yeah, yeah. it's interesting for you. I mean, obviously, and it's funny too because then I was just looking at a Guardian review, and you mm-hmm. know, they they refer to it as as you know, and then that links to the album, which refers to it as one of the greatest of the decade. It's got to be. <laughs> exasperating though to have so much momentum and then just be like okay cool everything shuts down now yeah it's like it's pretty pretty lame to say the least it's like you're going and you're going and then you're like you know you're feeling actually a lot of things was like uh, or your dreams when you start out are kind of like starting to you know take shape I mean they always they always like milestones but especially with this one it was like whoa things are really happening and then just everything stops and definitely in the US it was like I could feel like the, the tour that we just did in the, at the beginning of the year felt was like the best feeling I had playing out in the US which I loved I, I couldn't wait to the summer festivals I was getting some good slots and I always wanted like the slots that were in went at night I always thought music sounds better at, at night but you got to work your way up to the late slots and I was finally getting some <laughs> evening slots and all that and then damn the world went crazy so had to put it on pause. So wait, which which evening slots were you getting, or can you not say, or or what? What? Let's let's put it another way. What were your dream? What are your dream evening slots? And by the way, it's funny because to me, just so you know, like for example, as someone who's been to seventeen out of twenty Coachellas, it's not <laughs> the night slot that is the best. It yeah. is the sun. It is the sunset spot. I saw yeah. Portishead and Leonard Cohen at the sunset. That is oh. the magic spot. Yeah. To be fair, now you say it like that, it's like. Sunset's pretty cool, man. I mean, I mean, I've never played Coachella, but I have heard that that's like the the dream. And to be honest, you just describing that sounds phenomenal. But uh, you know, you know, definitely at Glastonbury, the sunset one's good. Well, we did one the year before about that time, and that was good. Um, but I mean, the ones that I was looking, ones I dream of doing is like still is like like in Europe, a lot of 
I mean, there's so many good festivals, it's hard to say specific ones, but I mean, Glastonbury as well, when it's night is great, you know, like a headline slot on one of those big stages would be amazing. I didn't actually have that lined up, but that would be cool. Um, there was this slot in this festival called Green Man in the UK that was coming up that was exciting. I mean, I've never done Coachella, that would be pretty, pretty, pretty amazing. Um, or like even an Austin City Limits or Lollapalooza, you know, late slots at that those at those festivals would be a dream. I've seen a lot of nice gigs at that time. Yeah, no, those those are great slots, and it's funny because I do like I've done both of those, and I I like the nighttime, but at Coachella there's something about that that sunset one, and then of course yeah. there's the True Power where I once saw the Flaming Lips do a sunrise set at a cemetery, so that is like that that's, that's next cr- level. That's next level. So, you know, <laughs> who, who would be your dream artist to see Sunrise? Doesn't even have to be in a cemetery. You know, you because it's funny, I saw Flaming Lips in the, at a festival in Denmark. It was, they were headlining uh, like a relatively small festival for them, I guess, in Denmark. And it was like one of the best ever shows ever. But Sunrise, like, who do I want to see? I mean, it's, it's, that's an interesting time of the day to see music. So probably it would be something like... Um, it could be could be Radiohead, but that's a bit early, I think, for Radiohead for me. I'd have to have been up all night because it's a bit kind of like start the day off on a downer, maybe. Or, or I would see, um, I mean, if it's alive, I would like to see Tame Impala at Sunrise. That'd be pretty cool. That was actually the last show I saw before the pandemic. Oh, man. Where was the, that? The, it was at the Forum here in LA. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah man. I'd like to see them at Sunrise. I think that would be pretty cool. What was your last show? The last show was in the UK, um, uh, in in UK in Southampton evening show during during um, during the UK tour. And I actually stopped that tour just before lockdown. I got sick, and then like five a week later, everything locked down. So yeah. So what was the last show you saw? Or you probably didn't get to see a show for a while because you were on tour. Last show, last show I saw, um, what was the last? I think the last show I saw was in was in America in January at the Beacon Theater. I think it was Brittany Howard. She was playing nice. show at the Beacon. That was really good. I think that was the last, unless I'm forgetting one after that. I think that might have been the last one. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good show. Well, it's interesting because one of the things that I've spoken about with artists so much, and by the way, we'll come to your protest songs in a second, because this is always fascinating for me to hear what people choose. And I I love that. But, you know, it's interesting because one of the things I've spoken about with so many artists during this, it's really funny because during the first two weeks, no one did interviews where everybody was trying to figure out what was going to happen. And now I swear in the next three days, I have, let's see, tomorrow I'm interviewing David Guetta. I'm interviewing... (laughs) Run the Jewels. Uh, no, yeah. I'm not interviewing Run the Jewels. I'm interviewing David Guetta and James Bay, basically back yeah. to back. And then yeah. Thursday, I have Patti Smith, Alanis, and Run the Jewels. So you're in good that's company this week, but it's funny yeah. because that's what's happened. By the way, that would be a hell of a festival. Yeah, that would be pretty cool, man. <laughs> I'd definitely love to see Patti Smith. Oh, you know what? Patti Smith on at Sunrise would be, would be amazing. I, I think it'd be too to. intense. I, I love Patty. She was the second to last show I saw before the band. I saw her at Disney <laughs> yeah. Hall, the same place you played. Yeah. You know, which was amazing. But it was also, um, I don't know, I, I think the uh, same thing as Radiohead. You'd have to have been up all night. <laughs> because <laughs> know, that man. that is a high level. Of, and it's funny because one yeah. of the ultimate compliments you can pay to Patty 
you know, mm. and obviously it's a very different show than you. It's one of the only times you ever see an entire crowd on their feet at Disney Hall rushing the yeah. stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, yeah. But <laughs> so, so it, it's interesting because the point I was getting at is that, you know, what is, I've t- talked to so many different artists during this time, people mm-hmm. find new ways to be creative new ways yeah. to be inspired, you know, and obviously it's interesting for you going back and bringing the album back digitally or Dolby, in Dolby, you know, one yeah. of the things that's really fascinating. I talk about with artists all the time, right? When you're in the middle of making a record, you don't really have perspective on it. You're in the middle of making it. You're trying to get it right. So when you yeah. come out and you do something new with it, you get the yeah. chance to hear it in a different way. So were there songs from this record that really yeah. stood out to you or you got a different appreciation yeah. for, or even you can go back and now see, Oh shit, now I see what the Guardian saw because of course it's your record as an artist. You're yeah. hypercritical. Uh, you know, yeah, so it's you hard know. to sit back and think about like, you know, other people giving it five stars. Yeah, definitely. I definitely, man. I think the one the one song that really stood out for me for like, oh yeah, was a song, the song Rolling. Um and I've I've always liked the song and like I love playing it live, but I was always like, Yeah, you know, that's a good song and I get it and everything, but I was just like Cool, um, we you know it's not my favorite, but but it's but I like it and um and it's funny in the studio you know Danger Mouse loved it and he was like oh man and the info were like oh man it's rolling you know and I was like yeah it's good but I didn't really get why they were so excited by it and and then I heard we went to Abbey Road and listened to Rolling Back in the Atmos Dolby and it was like my favorite song on the album it just kind of the way that they re- it was like the the way that they mixed it and like the energy made sense to me a bit more. And it, it was like the BVs were coming from behind my head and the piano was like left over there. And it was like the energy and the emotion that I understood a bit more. Even it's weird saying that with my own song, but it's like, it was, it definitely <laughs> reshaped it for me and made me appreciate it a bit more. I mean, I always liked it, but I didn't like it that much as much as well, now. now. See, it's so funny. Cause now, you know, having had the chance to sort of hear it in a different way and get yeah. this new appreciation for it. Does that make you more excited to then bring it to the stage and be able to play it again when you can? Yeah. And does it, does this like new setup sort of impact how you'll do stuff live? You think? Um, I don't know. I, I think it won't impact too much. Um, what I'll do live, but you know, it probably would impact, um, um, it's still like a very very niche thing, but it definitely will impact um, going to the studio and and my create you know creating in the studio and, and using the studio like an instrument and all that kind of thing. Because it was like the way it brought the songs out was like wow, you know you can think of it, you can go even deeper in how you can like put your emotion across through the production and through the choices that you make um, to bring the song forward. It goes even deeper with the Amos Dolby. So I think. Um, it's definitely made me ex- more excited to go back in the studio and be more creative and be more adventurous with, with how to produce a song or the ideas that go towards it. See, it's so interesting when you think of those artists, and we'll come out of your protest songs in one second, but it's interesting when you think of those artists who demonstrate that sort of adventurous, adventure, whatever, it's early in the morning here, that, <laughs> that spirit of adventure, you know, yeah. and, and bring that production you know, are there artists that particularly stand out to you or that you really admire for the way that they, you know, yeah. sort of just do things in a different way? And obviously Danger Mouse is a great producer for that. And it's funny because, by the way, my Sunrise answer is the same yeah. person to me 
is the person who demonstrates the most adventure in their production, which is Tom Waits. Oh, yeah, man. You've got some good sunrise. You've stumped me with the sunrise because like, I've never thought of watching the show at sunrise. And I'm like, damn, who would I have at sunrise? But Tom Waits, I've seen him once. I saw him at one of, um, I think 2013 at the Bridge School Benefit in San Francisco. And, you know, Neil Young's like um, benefiting, yeah. benefit thing. And it was like, unbut. It was like, I've never, to this day, I've never seen anything like it and I never will. It was, it was almost like, and you never saw him. I, I, you, like, because people like the artists all walk around, you've probably been and, and you can like go get nicer tickets so you can go kind of half backstage and you see like Queens of the Stone Age were there and all these big bands. But Tom Waits, everyone was looking out for him. You just never saw him. Somehow managed to hide himself and then popped out on stage. The It's like the colours changed of the stage. The whole place changed without him doing anything. And they didn't have a big lighting rig or anything like that. It just, he just commanded this kind of voodoo-like, otherworldly, thing to the to the show and then disappeared and like it was just I, I can't really describe it very well i can't really do it justice but i'm never gonna see anything as good as like that or as near as good as that than tom waste so unique but that was a pretty heavy set sunrise if you saw that one i think sunrise you'd still be shaken up for the rest of the day <laughs> kind of very, in, like, in, in, in a good way i've seen tom yeah. about a dozen times i've had yeah. to, to go all over man it was amazing I mean, I can't believe that. It was like, it was like watching, because, you know, he's an actor and everything. It's like his whole thing is, you know, I don't need to tell you, obviously. And it was like, it, I you just don't see a Tom Waits because it's like you're watching, a, a, like, it's like a play. It's, like, it's more of a play than like a gig. It's like watching a full immersion. It's like watching a, a play or some kind of show <laughs> that's on, on like, broad, not musically like Broadway, but just like you're getting even more than just a guy and a band playing songs. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah, no, he's an amazing performer and fascinating yeah. dude. And, you know, but um, yeah, so wow. it's, it's interesting. The reason I mentioned is because obviously to me, when you think of someone who's so adventurous in their productions, he's yeah. someone who, you know, to me is is kind of at the absolute top of that list. So for you, as you think about taking your music, because I can sit yeah. and talk about Tom Waits all day long. So yeah. as, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. as you think about taking your music back, are there people that, you know, then sort of become inspiration role models for yeah. Peter Gabriel's another one who's absolutely yeah. incredible. Yeah. I think, yes, yeah, that's, that's a cool question. I think for me, it would definitely be a mixture of like Charles Stepney and all that. When I used to like Rotary, Rotary Connection and some like the stuff that he did with like, n not as much like Earth, Wind and Fire, but like a lot of the Rotary Connection records. And then even like those weird um, Howling Wolf and Muddy Waters records when they went electric. Um, that, Charles Stepney, just his production and his arrangements, I think, for me, when I listen to him, um, that's probably the, the main inspiration of, like, I could be way more adventurous than this. He just he was so outside the box, so creative, so brought something quite dangerous to something that was normally quite smooth in that soul kind of 70s, Post Motown era was all like pretty smooth, great music, but like there was a smoothness to it. And Charles Stepney brought kind of something a bit more dangerous to it, more exciting. Um, I thought anyway. I mean, it's old now, but that that's always someone that kind of um, excites me creatively. Uh, I'm actually gonna Google him now because I don't know his stuff, but I love '70s soul, and it's funny because I yeah. love that era too. Of like, yeah. it's funny when you say the smoothness, like the Manhattans, yeah. and like. 
yeah. you know, just the, the those cool as shit vocals where yeah. they would like talk over the beginning of a song. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Charles Stepney's pretty under undercover. He's he's like a producer mainly, and um, but he's he was behind like mini early mini Ripperton um and all those kind of cool mini Ripperton Road to Connection records and way more actually. I, I need to Google some of it. Um, Chicago guy and early Earth Wind and Fire. Um, yeah, he's a he's a dude. He's a he's yeah. A cool. I'm just looking at his stuff now, like Muddy Waters and yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's cool stuff, man. All right, so and, what's your first protest I'll, song? Oh, go ahead. Sorry, I didn't uh, mean to then, then I'll say, on top of that, I'd say you mentioned Flaming Lips, but like, yeah, whatever, like Steve Drosden and um, and Wayne Coyne do, and and then Dave Liebman as well, the producer, whatever those guys do on their records, that always excites me. The Flaming Lips records are like unbelievable, so they they kind of production wise inspire me quite a lot. Their new album is just so good. Yeah, man. It's yeah, one of Steve, Yeah. I was just gonna say it's one of my favorites I've heard in a long time. Yeah, man. They're dope, man. And live, they're just like perfect. They're definitely a big inspiration to me. Different kind of music to what I make, but but I always look to them for like cool ideas. All right, cool. What's your first song? Because like I said, we can just geek out on music all day, but it's funny because yeah. I also like to tie this stuff in to, you know, the music that you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, man, my protest songs. Well, I have like I have like some um, some obvious ones because this one song is very obvious, but it's because it meant so much to me as a singer. He meant so much to me as a singer and an artist. Kind of got me as a teenager to want to start learning how to sing and to really write songs um, with that feeling. And and it's so obvious, but like I mean, Marvin Gaye, what's going on for me? Um, and my music is just such an inspiration because I don't know, I've just borrowed so much from that. Um, and it just moved me to this day, that album I could listen to back back to front and never get bored. Yeah, I think I must listen to that album like, like a thousand times. And it sounds it is new a perfect every... record. Yeah, it is. And and I just such those protest songs just have so much beauty to them because you can get like more uh aggressive or angry ones which are great and you get like um but then, but then mainly when you think of protest songs like there's a grit to them and kind of like a kind of like stomp your feet kind of i'm angry kind of thing um and he just does it in such a melancholic beautiful soulful way and i just think i just think no one else does it like him so i mean it's, it's obvious but it's got to be what's going on for one that's got to be one of mine yeah. Well, it's funny because that's one of the, like, I, I mean, I agree with you. That's one of the definitive ones. And it's interesting, yeah. too, because obviously, you know, with all that's happened, it's come up a lot this year with all that's happened yeah. in the States. And it's interesting because yeah. it blows my mind to think about that. Well, it's been one of the really fascinating things to, to look at this and, you know, is just look at how relevant these songs remain and how sort of pertinent they, they stay. And it's interesting, too, because it's, you know, I'd be interested to get your perspective on this strictly from a sonic standpoint because it's going to be 50 years old next May. And it yeah. doesn't feel like, I mean, to me, it's a record that if you came out today, you would yeah. feel like that is just the coolest shit that you've heard. Yeah. I mean, I agree. It's like, I don't, I just, like, I listen to it and I don't understand it. And like, why does it, you know, I've tried to like try and dissect it or why is it so good? And it's like, because it's not like this complicated music it's just it's like it's like proper music and it's and it's simple but it's like 
there's like this magic to it that you can't put your finger on. I don't know. I don't know what happened in the studio or what went on, but damn, he he definitely got hit. He definitely hit one there. I can't believe he had to like fight for it, but I guess it's easy to say that now because it's 50 years old. I guess at the time it was probably pretty like new sounding music, pretty music that people never heard. So I guess people would have been worried, but it's perfect. Well, I think it's funny. People, he had to fight for it because of the, the social issues. It wasn't because of the yeah. sound of it. It was because yeah. at the time, no one was yeah. really doing it. And mainstream. I mean, obviously, you had Sly and the Family Stone, who, yeah. you know, one of my favorite bands of all time. I'm absolutely fascinated with what an, what an amazingly interesting character. But, you know, I mean, but other than that, you, you didn't have in like, you know, you think about the Motown stuff that came out. You didn't yeah. have, and it's funny because even, I mean, I've, I've been fortunate. I've gotten to interview Stevie Wonder a dozen times and, you know, I oh. love Stevie and it's like, but when you look at it, his, you know, stuff like Intervisions and songs like Living in the City didn't come yeah. till after what's going on. You know, yeah. Marvin really had to fight for it. And it's funny for you as an artist, then talk yeah. about how that inspires you to know that, you know, because again, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Like I have the chicks on the show as well, right? And you know, yeah. they were so important in paving the way for artists to be able to speak out so in the world of country. And it's like, we, I spoke about with them. Like, you wouldn't yeah. have a Taylor Swift doing yeah. all she's done really? for Black Lives Matter and LGBTQ yeah. if it wasn't Without. for the shit that the chicks took. So talk about yeah. that strictly for you as an artist to know oh. that here's this guy who had done, I heard it through the grapevine, and it yeah. takes two, and he's like, yeah. fuck that. This is what's going on <laughs> in the world. You know, yeah. no pun intended. I'm going to yeah. turn around and make, you know, one of the most socially, you know, again, I guess Curtis Mayfield was doing it as well, but it but was, yeah. 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 I mean, dude, I mean, it's huge. The main, I mean, it gives me encouragement, but the main thing that it like, it always makes me question myself as an artist to make sure that the greatest artists always, they, they will die for their music. They will die for it. Whether or not people like it, they will stand by it irregardless of what the mood is in the camp. And it's very easy, you know, as an artist, if you're around, it doesn't just have to be label people. It could be, could be peers. It could be musical heroes, whatever. And you have this feeling about a piece of music that you know deep down, there's your gut feeling, there's something about this that I need to say, I need to put out. But if everyone's saying, you know what, you, sh you shouldn't do it, how strong are you to be able to stand with your convictions? You know, and it's hard. And the fact that he did it, and most of the greatest artists do it all the time. And they make it look easy. They think, yeah, you know, this song was amazing. I knew it was, it's what's going on. I mean, best album of all time. But it's not, when, you, when it's not out yet and no one's saying this, it makes it a lot harder. You think, well, maybe, maybe I should, you know, listen to them. They, they've, you know, they've had a record label, Motown, that is incredibly successful, the most successful black record label of all time. And, you know, Barry Gordy knows what he's talking about, hit after hit. How do you, you know, can you stand up to them and say, no, I'm going to put this record out. And so every time I hear those stories about what Marvin did, yeah, it, gives, it makes you remember why you're doing it. And it makes you think I better record and write what I believe in because I need to be able to stand by it, rain or shine, you know? Well, that's so interesting as well, because this has been one of the really fascinating things is that, you know, and, and I mean, it's interesting. I just did a story yesterday, right, for Forbes about, um, because I admit I'm not as knowledgeable about the British, you know, political culture as I am about the United States and what a fucking disaster we are right now. But basically, I did a story about how politics with visas yeah. and, you know, so Britain... Yeah. 
basically introduced it uh, next year, starting in 2021. Artists are mm. going to have to pay to play in the UK. So the US, of course, because we're assholes now, you know, not all of us, but our administration decided, well, yeah. cool, we're going to raise the fees by more than 50% for mm. artists to play, you know. And why mm. I bring this up is it's interesting because it's, it's, you know, as the culture changed, what happened mm. is that I found artists who never spoke out before speaking yeah. out. And yeah. it's, it's very interesting to talk about as, a, as an artist on the rise in 2020, as you say, there was a mm. lot of stuff happening. Do mm. you feel like it's been, I, I actually argued that because of everything that was happening politically, even before Black Lives Matter, even from 2016 to 2018, mm. after the election, every mm. single artist I interviewed for a year and a half, I spoke yeah. with them about how making music during this administration changed for them. And it was really mm. fascinating is that, you know, back in the day, you had artists like a Taylor Swift, who, who has become a great spokesperson, but back in the day would never speak out. You know, I think no. back to Britney Spears, not knocking Britney at all, I'm not making fun of her, but, you know, she famously yeah. did that interview where she's like, we should support the president no matter what. Yeah. And it's like, you, Remember. I don't feel like in 2020, you're able to be neutral as an artist anymore. You're not able to be Switzerland anymore. Do you find that as an artist? And how does that sort of inspire yeah. you to know that like, not only do you have the freedom to speak out, artists like fans expect you to speak out. Yeah, I, I think it's amazing. I think you know it's obvious with my with my music is like I love a lot of the music from like the seventies and things like that. And one of the reasons why I do is like because so much of it had a lot of things to say about you can you can work out what's happening in history through the music um, and and like all genres from soul to rock and roll. You know, it's all in there. People were singing about what was happening. Mainly in America, I love American music, so mainly in America. So, wherever it's Ohio, Neil Young, that was going to be one of my picks. Um, you know, well, or or Stevie Wonder, two different kinds of music, but like both have this gravitas and like such a great message to them. Um, and it's really nice music, great songs. And I, and I remember being in school, being like, man, how come the music today is like kind of just singing? It's just about nice melodies and I love a good melody and nice voices or like a good band, but it's like, you know, they're not really singing about anything. But now, you know, I'd, I'd rather the world be in this, in a happier place. But the last couple of years, the music I think personally has been amazing. There's been like artists have been making some incredible bodies of work from all genres. And it's been reminding me of what I loved about music. And so now I don't have to go to 1972 or whatever and find records. I can literally buy people's new records that are coming out and be like, man, I can't wait to hear um, Solange's new record. I can't wait to hear like Kendrick's new record. I can't wait to hear the Idols' new record. I can't wait to hear Britney's new record, whatever, whoever it is. And um, you know, there's going to be something interesting about the music as well as great melodies and all the stuff that, you know, you want to have. So it's pretty inspiring as an artist. It makes you kind of dig in a bit more again. You know, it's, now you have to have something to say like it was before, I think. All right, so it's interesting for you. Is there one song of yours where you really feel that influence when when you feel that like when you when you look at you know that seventies and and it's funny because like you say too that was part of it and it's interesting because in talking with so many different artists that we've mm. done for this show you know it's funny because mm. a lot of people will take songs that they heard as a child and they're like I didn't know what the fuck that song was about yeah. but then yeah. you hear it as an ad- you're like but it just sounds good. And then you yeah. hear it as an adult and you're like, okay, what's going on is a perfect example. I mean, if you hear that song when you're six years old or 10 years yeah. old, you're like, this yeah. is a, like, it just sounds good. You may not yeah, understand yeah. what he's singing about 
until you're 18 or 16 or whatever it is. So, you know, like it was about having great songs as well. Is there one song of yours where you really feel that influence in terms of the ability Mm -hmm. to to talk Mm -hmm. about, you know, that story where you and again, I I preface this with the fact, look, as a songwriter, you always Mm -hmm. want to do your best work. But as a yeah. songwriter, you never do your best work because if you do, what do you have left to shoot for? Yeah, but there exactly. are moments that you come close to. Like, for example, like, you know, going back and hearing rolling in a new way where you're like, okay, now I can appreciate that. So looking at it yeah. with perspective, is yeah. there a song of yours where you feel like, look, I really came close to hitting that statement that I wanted to make? Yeah, man. That's so cool. I think there's a few, that um, there's a few, but off the new records, specifically about, hearing a song and just enjoying the song and then delving a bit deeper being like, whoa, I didn't know I can hear that song in a different way. I had a few text messages about, about it, which was really cool. Would probably be, because there's some of that are like straight to the point, kind of obvious, but there, but there's one song called Hero off of the, the most recent album and that, that definitely was inspired by what we're talking about and kind of, for me, I felt musically and lyrically hit closest um, to what I heard in the legends, you know, I'm not, I don't think it's, I still think I'm trying to reach that, but like the closest I've got to, to like my influences and the legends that have paved the way, how they did it. Um, to be able to write a song that you just hear and it has so many layers to it, the more and more you listen to it. Um, and Hero for me is the, I would say is the closest I've got to it maybe. Um, because you just kind of like, has that hook to it? Am I your hero? And then, and then the more you listen to it, actually, funny enough, with that song is just, what was weird is that I wrote it and then started things started to happen um, in the US, but like the UK definitely mirrors. The, the UK definitely looks to the US a lot as for what to do in a way. So things that happen in America really affect the UK too, um, because we kind of like I don't know we can't we kind of can't shake how influential, I guess, in a way the US is to the UK in, in, in a lot of ways, musically and in a lot of ways. Um, but um, in, I guess in America, things were happening and, the, and there's a verse in Hero that kind of was what was going on. And I had this line, it was like, um, please don't shoot me down. I, I love you like a brother. Um, it's on the news again. I guess they killed another. And it was like, I just wrote it because I was thinking of something that happened in the past of, um, 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 you know, um, just, just you know, old old news, you know, of black people being killed, like Martin, Luther, you know, Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, and those things that we know about and we study. I was just thinking on those things, and then obviously the last few months, few months, you know, a lot of crazy things have happened, and it was on the news again. It was like every, it felt like every few weeks I'd switch my phone on or put the TV on, and it was like another black guy's got shot. And it was like, here we go again, man. It's like, and that's kind of what I was singing about, but it was weird because I was singing about something in history and then it was kind of like started to happen. So I'll probably pick um, Hero. Yeah. Yeah, see, that's so interesting. I've spoken about this with so many artists too. And it's funny, I was just transcribing an interview yesterday with Two Tibbard, you know, from Toots yeah. in the Mint Halls. And we were talking about, he has that song, Got It, uh, Gotta Be Tough, or Warning. I, it, there were two on the new record, Warning, Warning, and Gotta Be Tough. And he was talking yeah. about how their songs were written three years ago and a song like Gotta Be Tough then comes to have so much relevance during coronavirus. Yeah. And, and it's amazing how often songs have a sense of prophecy. 
you know, yes. and it's interesting because talking about it with artists, one of the things that's come up is, you know, just the understanding of the idea that, you know, artists have sort of a sensitivity to what's yes. going on, you know, yes. and maybe a little ahead of the time. And of course, obviously, like you say, unfortunately, you know, history repeats itself. So you yes. can write about Martin Luther King, who was shot 52 years ago, and it yes. still has a relevance. Or even I grew up in L.A., right? So I was I saw Lou Reed the night that the Rodney King riots started. You know, like I was at that show at the group theater and I remember Lou Reed being on stage and being like, there's a lot of crazy shit happening out there. Be careful going home, you know? Well, and it's like, I mean, yeah. that was 28 years ago and it's yeah. the exact same, you know? So, I mean, how much of it do you think is, is tying in with, you know, what's happening in the culture at this moment, but also yeah. what's happening with, you know, just being aware of the past and how yeah. much of it, it feels like a mix yeah, I think it's a mix. It's crazy because it was it's kind of freaky and everyone always says like the zeitgeist and all that stuff and it's funny because it's like the best songs, it's frustrating. This is the most frustrating part about music but then the best part is that it's so frustrating because it doesn't matter how much you study your craft or and you have to do it or and how much you learn from the best, you know, songs, the best songs kind of come out of thin air and it's almost like they're there already in the ether and then you, you just careful enough to pick it out and then you put it down and then they can sometimes often have a, a, a prophetic nature to them or they speak of the times almost exactly what's happening or you know so you look to the past but then like I think there's this magic that happens and it's almost like you're in the studio and the song passes through and then you kind of put it down quickly if you're lucky enough you're awake enough and then you just say thanks for that gift and you kind of walk away which is pretty frustrating because you want to be able to have control but it's like it's out of your control and, and whether that's like, you know, spiritual, people call the zeitgeist, whatever, but an artist kind of always looks for that. So funny that you're saying that because I'm actually just was looking up something and, you know, I, I Ben Harper has a new record coming. I'm supposed to be talking to him soon. And he put that yeah. better than anyone I've spoken with. He talked about the fact that it's like channeling. You know, and it's funny because yeah. when he first said it, he's like, I don't like to talk about this because people think it's crazy. But as an artist, it's true. Like you just sort of like, you know... Yeah open yourself up and, and, you know, like great, yeah. great writing. I, I always believe great writing leads itself, you know, yeah. and then it kind of unfolds itself to you. Yeah, exactly. I think that's, perfect. I mean, I wish I said it like that. That's, that's my experience. You can, you slave and slave away. And then sometimes something's happening. It just pours out. And then you're like, I don't really know. I can barely claim that one but I'm going to take it <laughs> and then you, but you just be present and it kind of comes through you and it's like kind of out of body at times. Um, and it's funny because people sometimes would be like, Oh yeah, you know, um, talk on songwriting, like the, the process. And I'm always like, I don't really know how to do it. Like I couldn't, I couldn't teach. Like I would be going to the lessons as much as anyone else rather than teaching them because it's like, I don't know how to repeat hero. If I tried, it would be even so so bad and um, and the, the few good ones I'm like I don't know how to do that again it was just something happened um, and you can just be like luckily I'm going to take that it's almost like you've got a bag with you and you quickly stuff it in before anyone sees it and you just run off <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah well it's interesting because then you, you said you were going to choose Ohio which is also another timeless great song yeah. and it's funny because that's an interesting one because 
that one fascinates me because you know it was written about an event and it's it's so funny because i remember talking i i mean i get to talk to everybody and i actually in the span of about six months spoke to all four members of csn and y individually and it's funny because like that's one of those songs that they were very proud of the fact that it came out within two weeks after the ohio shooting but of course now you can like if you're her you can write a song like i can't breathe and literally drop it next day but in 71 obviously it was a very big deal to be able to 70 i'm sorry to be able to release a song you know instantly as it happened but i mean that literally is like a news report yeah that's crazy i know i i mean i remember reading that about that song being like they just went into the studio they heard about it went to the studio cut in like a day and then so they send it to get press and obviously you have to go and send it to actually, you know, a, a record. Or, you know, it's all like this long process and they did it really quick and that really excited me. But it's funny, yeah, this day and age now, it's like you just click a button, you know. Well, you have to write the song, but I mean, once it's, once it's done, you can do it. But that song, I don't know, I think all of that story behind the song for me was exciting. The fact that it was so immediate and, and it was like the true, without sounding cheesy, it was like, feels like a true essence of like rock and roll in a way it was like really soulful and but like gritty at the same time um and just really vulnerable and just like the love of people was in that song of just like how could you how could you do that you know um and uh i love that song man i love i, I mean always with csny i love that the vocals are so high almost too high they're kind of like straining and just that that emotion in that i just always love and the, the, that that I love the the original recording and I also love the live I think it's live at Massey Hall version of it I think he does Ohio then does he do Ohio on live at Massey Hall um solo acoustic anyway there's a solo, look, I'm not sure yeah, there's a solo acoustic version that he does that's insane flipping love that version just Neil Young on his own um yeah man I just love I love that song do you remember the first time you heard it yeah. Um, so I think I'm going to click. So I've got my computer here. I think it was, I heard it. I heard the solo acoustic Neil Young version first. I was going through my first Neil Young phase when I discovered him and then heard it on live at Massey Hall. And um, I think I would have been at 14, 14 at the time. And I just I was like, what the hell is this song? It was what you described. I'm like, I don't know what Kent State, uh, the uni is and, I had no idea of anything like that. I was just like, Ohio. I mean, I probably never even heard of Ohio as a place being from England and being 14. I just liked the song. Um, but I remember hearing that Soldiers Are Cutting Us Down line thinking, well, that's pretty, that's pretty, um, that's pretty brutal. And um, yeah, man, I think that's it really. All right, cool. What's your, what's your next one? My next one is, um, my next one's a bit of a, per- well, they're all personal. Um, but my next one, uniquely, would probably be uh, Solange's song, um, Don't Touch My Hair. Um, nice. Because it's so, like, I heard that song. And it's funny, in school, I would, I mean, I've cut my hair recently, but I've, I usually have an Afro, pretty big one, and it's, like, picky. And, and, um, and everyone used to, like, whoa. Yeah, it's crazy. It's so good, cool, and they're like, "Can we touch it?" And uh, I'll just be sitting there, like, "Oh man!" 
because I grew up and it was like mainly Muswell Hill was the town I grew up in. It was mainly white people. There was mainly like black families. So an Afro was like, I mean, people were like, whoa, man, never seen that before. And you could even, even got to a point where you could like smoke in it. So when like kids start smoking about 15 or whatever, whatever age it was, someone accidentally smoked and it like went in my Afro and came out like another side of it. And they were like, whoa, have you seen that's crazy? If you're smoking, smoking the hair, I mean, imagine <laughs> someone smoking cigarettes, smoking your hair. And I hate, obviously hated it. And then you, you just think like no one's going to really get it. So you just kind of like move on with it and then whatever. And then this song comes out. I'm like, that's so funny. It's like, I never thought anyone would really think the same. Like someone's put into words this really weird niche thing about how, you know, my hair is like this weird, people find like this weird, strange thing. And someone's protesting, don't mess with it. Don't blow smoke in it. Don't touch it because it looks crazy. You know, leave it alone. And I just really resonated with me and kind of gave me this confidence to be like, yeah, man, I mean, I wasn't on my own, even though at the time I didn't know anyone else with an Afro or had the same kind of complexion or hair as me it just made me brought me back to 14 15 and made me feel really good you know so i I gotta put her i gotta put that as my like personal protest song to to being a human being like don't touch my hair (laughs) yeah i love that just because i love first of all i love having more current songs on here as well you know because again like you said it's it's not everything you know obviously look the 60s and the 70s were such an amazing time for protest music yeah you know but yeah you know, obviously, like, there's still great stuff coming out today. Yeah, man. Oh, man, there's so many goods. I, I mean, it's hard to pick a few. I mean, that's like one of, I mean, there's so many now. There's so many now. It's like, I mean, that one I want to pick specifically because of that, because it's like, I felt like it was a song she wrote for me. You know, when you get that feeling that's so good about songs, when you feel like you have so, you think that someone's written it just specifically for you, it's like, it really do something special like that. But there's like, um, there's so many, so many protests slash, and I also I would say like slash like um, environmental songs about the environment. Like, I mean, you got most messy me, but it's like Charles Gambino feels like summer. I remember when that came out like two summers ago. Um, it's like, for me, it was like a modern day mercy, mercy me, like singing about effectively like global warming. Um, and it was just beautiful feeling to that song. And the video just had this beautiful depiction of, America in 2017 or 18 or 19. I can't remember when that came out. And I wasn't going to pick that one, but that one's like another example for me. That's one of my favorite protests slash like songs that um, really speak about the state of the world today. There's so many, it's like I can't even list them. That's why I think we're in a time where, you know, um, it's like the heyday of music. I think it's, I think we're back in one, you know? Yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, I mean, you can pick as many as you want. So, I mean, is there another one that you, I mean, you know, is, is and it's interesting. Well, let's come back to the Solange one for one second because I know yeah. exactly what you're talking about, right? That feeling yeah. of you hear a song and you're like, wow, how'd they get in my head? You know, they know exactly what I'm thinking. So for you, have you gotten that response from fans too? Because again, obviously you're writing the song. So, but you know, it's an amazing feeling when someone, when you connect that way with a song. As a writer, you know, it's funny because we are talking about Tom Waits earlier. I read this great quote from him this weekend on the Instagram site Niche. And it talks yeah. about the fact that the size of an audience isn't important. Yeah. It's the effect you have on them that yeah. matters. And I, I yeah. love that quote because it's like, to me, I've often argued that Tom Waits has the best career of anyone in music because he can yeah. tour when anyone, whatever he wants. 
but he uh, can also walk in a store and not be bothered. That's you know? crazy. Yeah. So it's like he has that perfect, you know, sort of mix. So yeah. it, it's interesting for you, but again, it comes back to that impact on an audience. So mm-hmm. for you, mm-hmm. are there songs of yours where you've gotten that response from fans where it just really means so much to you where someone is like, damn, how'd you know exactly what I was feeling? Yeah, man, there has been, um, there has been, it's funny. It's like sometimes, sometimes I like, like I had the, the, the last show in America I had, um, was in Atlanta and there was a there was a guy that came to the show and he was a guitar player. He is a guitar player and um you know he he hung around for a bit near backstage to say hello and we we started talking and you know he was he was he, he loved love and hate. I get a lot of it for the song Love and Hate. And he was like, Man, that song really spoke to me and I felt it got me through some really difficult times in life, you know, and the struggles that we all have as human beings, we have our ups and downs and um, I get, especially that song, Love and Hate, there's a few, but Love and Hate seems to be especially, it would be like people would, would listen to that during some tough, dark times and it would help them get through um, some tough moments. And for me, that's like a huge, huge privilege to be able to have a, a true purpose to your music because you, you know, you sit there and you create art, and but you always have this thing. I don't know if it's just me, but I'm sure other artists and creatives and, and yourself as a writer and Anything creative you have, sometimes when you're sitting there struggling away, trying to come up with something, you think, what am I bringing to the table? I mean, you're seeing people, if it's late at night, people coming back from work and they're like, especially now with the pandemic, the frontline workers and people that are actually helping human beings like hand to hand. And then I'm sitting there with the guitar strumming. Sometimes I feel like, whoa, man, I mean, I'm just like, what I care about is myself. And then you get a comment like that or people saying that songs really helped me it's really made me feel better it makes it all worthwhile and you think it's, it definitely is and i know it's worthwhile but it's definitely worth giving music and art taking it seriously i'm trying to make the best music you possibly can that affects people because we need it you know yeah 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 <laughs> no it's, i totally get what you're saying you know but it's funny because every artist is also the most self-critical you know yeah. so as someone who speaks to so many artists i'm you know again yeah. I, i'm well used to the fact that it's like every artist is like well what do i bring to the, what am i doing am yeah. i doing anything you know it's like yeah. that you know that that yeah. self-critical thing of you know so yeah. so i i mean but yeah it's funny i always go back to one of my favorite stories from this was right i was talking with dave king from the band flogging molly many years yeah. ago and he was telling me about a song. I can't remember the song title now, but he had written the song. And then, you know, he he was watching. There was a, a funeral in Houston for an officer who was killed on duty. And they mm. were playing his song at the funeral. And he's like, yeah. it just made him totally cry. And he heard the song in a whole different way. And it's like, it's funny because that's always an interesting thing. And it stood out to me because it's like, I've heard so many artists talk about this, but that's a really concrete example of once you release a song into the world, it's not yours anymore. You kind oh, yeah. of are giving it out there and then yeah. it becomes it becomes the fans and it becomes theirs to you know do what yeah. they want with it yeah which is which is the dream that's like the, that's the dream that's what you want yeah. cool so what's what's your next process song anything else or um uh trying to think I, I have one but I have this thing that maybe it's like trying to be I'm always trying to be like maybe too cool for school because I never want to pick the obvious ones even though I've picked like 
two really obvious ones. But but no uh, one's I'll, mentioned Solange or no one's mentioned Childish Gambino. So you're you're fifty fifty. Well, and there well, there are well, certain ones, by the way, that are yeah. just so like you can't not pick them because they're so perfect. You know, I mean, and, and what's going on is like you know again, and especially next year as it turns fifty. I mean, you know. And Ohio yeah, yeah. is another one that's considered like, you know, the prototypical protest song for a reason. That's true, yeah. Well, I would say a modern day um, what's going on for me has to be, um, you know, it has to be All Right by Kendrick Lamar. I mean, that song is the best protest song in the last, like, 10 years. It's just got to be the best protest song in the last 10 years in my mind. I mean, it's just perfect. And uh, I, have to, I have to put that in there. Um, I remember where I was when I saw the video. Um, I think I was... I, I, funny enough, that video really in, inspired me creatively wanting to move my music. That whole album, To Be Butterfly, came out when I was making Love and Hate or just came out before I started making it. And it's just so good. I was like, I want to make music that has... This sounds like... This sounds like what's going on in this sense that all the songs have such a heavy, heavy content. Um, about the world, I'm like, man, that's this is cool. This is like modern day. This is like modern day, like '70s soul. It's like the best thing. And I was like, damn, how do we? I can't rap, but I mean, how can we make our music pretty? <laughs> or and actually, funny enough, for your earlier question about like the creativity in production, Kendrick is definitely someone who I would hear where they kind of reach for this for like something more cosmic creatively and production wise, similar to the way I think the Flaming Lips do it. It's just, you put their, their records on um, Kendrick's and the Flips and it's like, you get transported to like another world. So when I heard all right, it was like, I mean, I have to have some music that has even just an eighth of this, the impact and feeling and like um, intensity that all right has, you know? Um, so that for me has to be in there. Um, just because it's, you know, I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna rap, but I definitely want to have as much soul as that as that guy and that, that as much meaning as he does in his, in, his, in his lyrics. And it's funny because no one's actually picked that song yet. The Natalie Mance from the Chicks talked about how much she loves Kendrick as a whole, but she couldn't yeah. pick one song. And it's funny yeah. because most artists have t- really tended to gravitate towards past protest songs. So I like, I love the fact that you picked that song, even though you made it felt like it was obvious. Yeah, I thought it was because it's like it's like the song of our t- of the times, man. I mean, it's like kind of if any of you can pinpoint what's what the internet's talking about for me, it's it's that one. But I mean, that's just me. Yeah, yeah, and it's interesting though because even with younger artists we've had on the show, like it's just not you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's pretty. It's just become pretty mainstream, and I think as artists we get scared to like say a mainstream thing. I, I don't know why we do that, but yeah, I'm glad no one else put that there. And that's cool. Well, it's funny because like you say, I mean, there is a, there is a, you know, I think it's an art, it, there's the too cool for school thing. And also just because you want to stand out and be different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Is there anything else you want to add? We did not talk about because we covered a lot of shit. So, you know. Yeah. No, that was cool, man. I'm, I'm happy, man. That was, a, that was a fun interview. Thanks. No, it was a blast. And it's, it's funny because I actually hit up uh, Dana and Lena right after the show in January trying to yeah. set it up. So, you know, because I was such a fan of the show. So I'm glad we were able to make this happen. Mm. Uh, it's funny. It's only eight months later, though. It feels like a thousand years later. <laughs> it, does. it does, man. It feels so long ago. I can't believe that's this year. This feels so long ago. But I was going to say before we go, I was going to say also 
It's funny you mentioned the, that Lou Reed story is really cool, the Rodney King rights, but that it's kind of a weird like way to end it. End it, but the cool way to end it. But at that British Call benefit, um, you know the one that Tom Waits was playing. That was like a few days or a week after Lou Reed had just died. Because I think he died in 2013, something like that. And then um, they did a version of, funny enough, they did a song that he didn't write, but it was just like the only one they knew, I guess. Oh, Sweet Nothing, I mean, Velvet Underground song. But I think John Cale wrote that. Um, and that was like with My Morning Jacket were playing and um, Neil Young was there and someone else was on. The, oh, yeah, and um, Elvis Costello was singing as well. They all came on and played Oh, Sweet Nothing. In tribute to Lou Reed, so I thought I'd mention. I remember that, well. that. I remember watching the video because yeah. I was such a you know I was a huge Lou Reed fan. Yeah. You know? Yeah, man. So I remember I remember watching the video. Now I'm looking it up to make sure it was. Yeah, he died October 27, 2013. So it was right yeah. before that. Yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah, that was a cool moment. That was a really special moment. A highlight for me, gig wise. It, like something special happened that night. Oh, wow. It's actually the same day. It was the day. Whoa. Wow. Yeah, so he like, died that yeah. Sunday morning. So, I mean, that's crazy because they would have had no time to put it together. Yeah. It was the day they killed it. It's on YouTube, them playing it. It's, it's insane. Yeah, yeah. I haven't watched it. I, I love that song. I mean, there's so many. You know, it's funny because yeah. Reed didn't really write protest. Although, you know, New York definitely had that album, had yeah. some protest songs, but it's it's funny. I'll put you on the spot then as a songwriter. We'll wrap up on Lou Reed. Because Lou Reed to me is one of those artists who, you know, there's only a few artists in the world who've ever achieved a perfect song. Yeah. You know, a truly perfect what's yeah. going on is obviously one. Yeah. God only knows. I mean, that is that is, you know, probably the yeah. greatest pop song of all time. But Lou yeah. Reed has two of them, Perfect yeah. Day and Pale yeah. Blue Eyes. So yeah. for you as yeah. a songwriter, what's what's the one Lou Reed song you... Well, you know what? I'm going to make this a two-part question. I was going to ask you the one Lou Reed song you wish you had written and why. But I mean, yeah. you know, as a fan, I, mm. you know, is there a Lou Reed song you would ever cover, you know? And if so, what would it be and why? Well, that's a cool question. So probably... Um, perfect... For me, um, what, take a walk on the wild side, the sound of that, that song, the sound of that record when you put it on, I think sonically that's the warmest, most beautiful sounding record. <laughs> One of the best records I've ever heard. The sound, I mean, the sound of the bass, um, the BVs when they go distant in the echo like halfway through, um, the, brush, the brushes on the drums, it's just like everything is so perfect and his voice is like killer. So I would say like, I would love to have written Take a Walk on the Wild Side. It's such a cool song. Um, and what would I cover? I mean, I don't think I'd cover that one. Um, um, yeah, I could cover something off, even though this is a lot of people's least favorite Ve uh, Velvet Underground album, but maybe something um, off, off Loaded. Um, uh, let me see, actually. Um... um I think it would be sort of everyone always says they don't really like Loaded it's like their pop album but I kind of like pop album they were trying to be pop um, maybe I don't know that's a hard question maybe Who Loved the Sun maybe but I don't know I don't know if that would be my my Neil uh, my um, Lou Reed one but maybe it would be that one for now because it's like hit me on the spot there but it's definitely something offloaded. 
All right, you can't, I mean, yeah, you can't really go wrong with like any, almost any Lou Reed song, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think Who Loves the Sun, I would maybe try and do a version of, but what Take a Walk on the Wild Side is like my favorite of his to hear and listen to. And you know, Perfect that's so funny, there. I just looked up the... I just looked up the lyrics too, and it's funny because it's not thought of as a protest song. But I mean, just in the opening verse where he talks, you know, Holly came from Miami, off LA, shaved her legs, and then he was a she. It's like that yeah. was pretty freaking ahead of its time for 1972. Yeah, and definitely now. I mean, that song is, it's, yeah, it's like, it's, it's exactly that. He's like, he, he's got the, he had the zeitgeist with him the whole, his whole career, really. He was just really up there. <laughs> so maybe, you know that Transformer album as well I mean it's hard to pick a song on colour that's a good question <laughs> well again yeah. these are just things I think about like for me as a Lou Reed fan you know so cool yeah. well thank you so much for your time this was a pleasure it was a blast hopefully thank we'll see you back man. in the States sooner than later I hope so too man I loved it I loved it beginning of the year so I can't wait to come back can't wait to come and, back and uh, hopefully you'll get that sunset spot at Coachella yeah man <laughs> definitely Hey, this is Steve Balton, and you have been tuned in to People Have the Power with special guest Michael Kiwanaka. Hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did, and uh, hope you learned as much as we did, because it was a lot of fun. Thanks. Thanks.